Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. I'm WCBS News Radio business reporter Joe Connolly, along with producer Neil A. Caruso, and we're talking today with Randy Pierce, the president of the Chamber of Commerce for one of the most innovation leading areas of the country, Brooklyn, New York. Randy, back in March, I remember seeing you on social media, just sitting there reading some of the heartbreaking emails from business owners who were worrying about losing everything they'd worked for and built. Have those outlooks improved any since then, Randy? Uh, Well, Joe, you know, it's a mixed bag right now. Clearly, there's uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, Businesses overall seem uh, enthusiastic and optimistic uh, about the fact that we're moving into the phase one of the reopening on June 8th. Uh, And there's hope that uh, not too far after that, we'll be able to open up other types of business establishments. But you know, there have been a lot of businesses over this two and a half month period that uh, just didn't make it through and, and threw in the towel. And and uh, make no mistake that once uh, once all businesses reopen their doors, uh, there's still there's still a lot of concern. Uh, you know, those concerns about the new normal, uh, what it's going to mean for their physical location, what it's going to mean for their customer base. Will their customers actually come back? So you know, I think it's going to be some time before we. Uh, realize the full extent of uh, of what we've faced uh, from an economic perspective, uh, and it's going to take some time to get back to where we were. So that really hasn't made the news, Randy, what you just said about a number of businesses already closing. We hear about some threatened, but what types of businesses have failed already, Randy? I mean, it's it's it really is. Uh, it depends on a lot of different factors. Uh, quite honestly, it's all types of businesses. Uh, there were certainly uh, some sectors of the economy that were hit more deeply. Uh, you know, hospitality, tourism uh, tend to be the ones that are uh, of most concern, uh, especially ones that require you know large crowds to assemble. Uh, you know, as as part of their business model. Uh, but really, it's smaller businesses. It's businesses that didn't have uh, a good deal of excess capital or savings to draw upon. Uh, it's businesses in high rent areas that uh, didn't get a break on uh, or any concession with respect to rent. And they know uh, that that rent bill is going to come due uh, and it'll be a big one. Uh, so it really is uh, all over the place. There's a, quite a number of minority and women owned and immigrant owned businesses as well. Uh, you know, businesses that were unable to take advantage of, uh, you know, government programs like uh, the Paycheck Protection Program 
or the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, which, you know, there's a there's a whole set of challenges just around those two programs. But, you know, I, w- I will say there's a lot of um, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of optimism. Brooklyn entrepreneurs are strong. They're, they're they show a lot of grit. Uh, and they uh, and for the most part, they're an optimistic bunch. And the chamber has been working with them to try and, uh, you know, prepare them for what the reopening is going to look like. One other question before uh, we hear from Neil. From what you can see, what are the businesses that are the most optimistic doing specifically to rev up here, Randy? So I think there are some businesses that um, feel like they're going to return uh, to normal. And, you know, the phase one businesses in particular construction uh, and manufacturing, I think, feel like they're going to get back to normal. I think everyday retailers, with the exception of restaurants and bars, which I'll talk about in a moment, uh, I think everyday retail establishments are, you know, uh, mom and pops, for example, in communities. I mean, I think they're, it's going to be touch and go. And I think they're going to have to understand uh, what limiting occupancy is going to mean for their walk-in foot traffic, what the curbside pickup of delivery is going to look like, uh, and, and quite frankly, also, you know, what their workforce is going to look like. There's some concern about uh, workers returning. Uh, there's concern about their health and their safety, but also whether some workers will actually even come back. So that's certainly part of it. I think restaurants and bars are facing a very unique set of challenges. Uh, clearly, there's going to be a need to return to some sort of uh, inside dining uh, in order for them to get back to the revenue levels that are going to sustain themselves. And most of the restaurants tell us they got to get back to at least 70 percent of previous revenue if they're going to stay in business. So they know they're going to have to cut back uh, in terms of uh, in, in dining occupancy. Uh, but the city uh, has been very, very responsive with respect to opening up outdoor space uh, as much as possible uh, in an effort to encourage them to really set up uh, outdoor dining options. So, so that's a good sign, and that could help offset uh, some of the challenges to, uh, to the occupancy issue. All businesses are going to have to think about their physical layout. All businesses are going to have to think about uh, personal protection equipment for their employees. Mm-hmm. Um, all businesses are going to have to do a deep cleaning and start off with a, with a baseline of, of cleanliness just so that they can get back online. So these are some of the things that they're facing uh, sort of right out of the gate. Now, you mentioned restaurants and bars or other businesses like gyms. I mean, how did they, what are you hearing from these business owners and restaurants, bars, but also gyms and personal service businesses? How are they preparing yeah. for phase one? Yeah, and you know, it's once again, uh, there are large gyms and then there are independently owned smaller gyms. Uh, and uh, I think they, they, they're both in a very different position. Uh, you know, I think, I think the larger gyms that have much more floor area and have deeper pockets to rely upon in terms of reconfiguring their space. I mean, I think I think they're gonna they're gonna you know kind of work through that. I think it's really the uh, the smaller independently owned gyms, the yoga studios, the dance studios that are that are gonna face a big challenge because they just don't have the floor space, they don't have the floor area uh, in order to reconfigure, uh, and it's gonna really uh, impact them. Now, some of them have moved to um, to some online operations and distance. Uh, webinar sort of uh, activities. Uh, we've seen some creativity in that area. You know, Zumba classes given online. Uh, you know, if you're if you've got loyal following and they've been keeping with you, uh, you know, those are some innovative ways to approach it. But like I said, I think it's a I think it's a different story whether you're a small independent gym or yoga studio or dance studio versus uh, one of the larger uh, gyms and including the chains, which have a lot more to work with. 
What have you learned, Randy, about government limitations during this? I mean, I saw a recent audit from the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce that almost 85% of businesses in Brooklyn that applied for the loans, the PPP loans, didn't get it. So I know that you have established no interest loans for these businesses. Right. Yeah, well, so so it was really a tale of two offerings. I mean, in April, when they first released the program during round one, uh, it was it was an abysmal failure uh, for small businesses throughout Brooklyn. As you mentioned, uh, 84 percent of businesses couldn't access it. Uh, We did much better in the second round in May uh, when uh, when they uh, infused uh, additional resources into the program. Uh, And uh, really, for three reasons, community development, financial institutions were able to get involved during that second round. Uh, many of them work with small businesses in underbanked communities. Uh, the fintechs, the PayPal's, and the Cabbages got involved. 13% of our businesses got their loans through uh, fintechs. Wow. Uh, and the larger banks were much were much more yeah the larger banks were much more responsive to small businesses during that second round. So we saw we saw uh, a lot better results. All that being said, uh, the Paycheck Protection Program itself has limitations. I know Congress is looking at uh, you know amending the program to make it. Uh, easier for small businesses to actually utilize the funds. I'll give you one example, uh, very relevant here to New York City. Uh, the, um, you know, only 25% of the, of the loan fund could be used for rent and other overhead. Uh, 75% had to be used for payroll. Well, in a high rent uh, environment in like in New York, I mean, that only gets you so far. So, uh, you know, we needed to, we need to see that amended. We need to see that uh, ratio uh, uh, shifted so that uh, small businesses could actually utilize the, the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, and, and even with that, there's going to be businesses, small, really small businesses in every community uh, that are not going to be able to access these types of financial resources. So that's why the Chamber did launch its own fund, the Bring Back Brooklyn Fund. Uh, it's a way for everyday Brooklynites, uh, everyday New Yorkers to contribute to saving their neighborhood, the businesses that they know and they love. Uh, they can contribute to the fund, and we're going to take the donations and uh, convert them into no-interest loans uh, that are that can be replenished, right? So once we give out a loan, it's paid back. It goes back into the to the fund, and we can help even more businesses. So if anybody wants to contribute, uh, bringbackbrooklyn.org is the site. Please go and, and make a make a donation. Randy, from your experience, is there any way that you have seen for smaller businesses to build up more of a cash reserve because we're seeing how little reserves so many businesses have. Yeah, it's a big problem. Uh, and it's, and it's, and the smaller the business, the more likely it is to face that type of problem. And, uh, and, and let's, let's be also realistic about the fact that rent is the largest fixed cost for most of these small businesses. Uh, and, uh, and, and quite honestly, we have had no relief with respect to commercial rent. Really? Yeah, there's been no relief. And, hmm. and just to, just to point out the data because, uh, the data speaks volumes. So we, we surveyed two rounds of, uh, in April and in May. In April, 44% of our small businesses indicated they missed April's rent payment. Uh, and only 16% indicated that they received any type of concession from their commercial landlord. Uh, in May, the number was 46% of businesses uh, missed May's rent, and uh, and 21% indicated that they got some sort of concession from their landlord. So clearly, there's a disconnect between uh, commercial tenants and commercial landlords. And let's face it, commercial landlords have expenses too. Uh, you know, mortgage expenses, interest expenses, property tax expenses. Right. So you know, it's not clear what the answer is. But I will say this: uh, even if they had a cash reserve, 
Uh, and even if they could get their employees to come back and maybe they did get a paycheck protection loan, which converts into a grant and helps them with payroll, uh, they still have that big rent bill looming. And remember, they have not been able to access their facility for the last uh, two and a half months. It's been said, though, that the landlords, it's been predicted that the landlords would give them breaks because who else are they going to get to go in there? But apparently this is not happening as widely as it reports indicate. I mean, I still think there's a there's some degree of denial on behalf of uh, the real estate industry about what the long term impact is going to be. I will say this. If you're a smart landlord and you've had, for the most part, good tenants who've paid on time and have been really good you know, businesses uh, in your space, uh, you should do everything you can to kind of work it out. Um, because at the at and on the backside of this, let's let's think of three things here. Number one. Uh, in certain parts of Brooklyn and throughout the city, we already had a retail vacancy crisis prior to COVID, right? And part of that was driven by oversupply of commercial space. The second thing is, uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, you're going to have some percentage of businesses, maybe up to a third of businesses that actually won't come back. Uh, so there'll be less demand for commercial space. And then the third thing is just the, you know, the virtual nature of work now, the Zooms that we've all been participating in, the Zoom yeah. meetings. Uh, there's going to there's going to be businesses that are going to reevaluate how much brick and mortar uh, footprint they really need to operate. And they're going to probably scale back. So those three factors alone uh, should give commercial uh, landlords pause uh, to say, hey, look, uh, if I've already got a good tenant for the most part, I'm going to work it out because uh, I don't have anybody else uh, to fill that space. We're seeing now businesses developing new technology to combat the health crisis, and we continue to hear from entrepreneurs who are developing those new products to fight coronavirus. So one company, Joe, you spoke with the COO of Brooklyn-based Strongarm Technology in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Neil, a lot of companies are talking about pivoting, a very popular word right now we hear all the time, about pivoting to a new product or service to get business going again. Here's an example of this. Strongarm Technologies sells software to industrial and warehouse workers to prevent injuries on the job, but now they have not exactly pivoted but reconfigured their technology so that companies can use it to monitor social distancing by their employees. We've actually taken existing technology from our platform and reconfigured it to more effectively address some of the needs of businesses trying to return to work in a post-COVID era. So sometimes you can pivot by selling more to your existing customers or to anybody who has an increase in business because the strangest thing happens. Strong Arm Technologies had all these industrial and warehouse and shipping and logistic companies as clients. Overnight, suddenly, their clients went to being essential businesses. Now here's Neil with Randy on the big story this week. Randy, you know, top of mind, and the real estate situation is um, just filled with uncertainty, but now you have these riots, and I'm wondering what your message is to business owners who, you know, wake up in the morning and they see their windows smashed and just total destruction. Well, I mean, I, let's uh, look, to put it in perspective, the amount of damage here in Brooklyn has, has been limited and in New York City has been limited. Now, it's not to underplay uh, any type of damage. There are businesses that clearly are going to have some, uh, some, some further burdens that they're going to have to tackle in terms of, of fixing up their space. I mean, I feel like we as a community, though, need to kind of understand what's going on, be mindful and respectful of the anger and the hurt that's being expressed 
uh, and as a community figure out how we can move forward. I will say that for minority and women-owned businesses and immigrant-owned businesses, the majority of small businesses in Brooklyn are owned by minorities, women, and immigrants. They tackle it from a very different perspective. And I think economic empowerment of communities of color is key and critical. And it's something that this chamber has always fought for and will continue to fight for. Because at the end of the day, uh, entrepreneurs and businesses and MWBEs, the more of them that can come together and hire from local communities, I think it's better for everybody. Uh, So that's what we're striving for. Randy, let's just end this on an optimistic note. I believe you're a Brooklyn native, aren't you? I am. (laughs) Will you please tell us, how did Brooklyn become this new hotbed of business innovation? What happened in what year? What took off here? (laughs) Well, so I think there's a good analogy within your question, and it's the 1970s. And, and, And I came of, I was born in 1970. So, you know, I remember in my earliest years, a very different Brooklyn. And, you know, the, 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 the not so good part of the story is it took us 40 years almost to kind of pull out of the economic malaise of the 70s. Right. And and uh, and we were a very different place then. Uh, I think a couple of things uh, that happened along the way. I think, number one, you know, people knew New York City, but they also knew Brooklyn. Brooklyn had its own branded identity uh, anywhere across the country. If you said the word Brooklyn, it had a negative connotation in the 70s. But once you're a known entity, what you really need to do is turn that brand around. The other thing is we were a manufacturing powerhouse in the United States. And and like most uh, industrial cities, we too had to go through our transformation. And we transformed from being makers of things to creators of ideas, you know, through tech through innovation, through the creative economy. We leveraged a lot of our cultural assets. And most importantly, we leveraged our diversity. And I think, uh, you know, over that, I would say over the last 20 years or 25 years is really when the transformation began to take hold. We made much better utilization of our vacant space, for example, our former industrial space. We repurposed it for creative economy purposes. Look at Industry City thriving today. Look at parts of Williamsburg thriving today. Look at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Uh, oh, we love a it hub there. of innovation. Oh, it is great. And, and, and the type of tech companies that are, that are coming in. I mean, we're second only to San Francisco in terms of new tech startups, right? Brooklyn, Brooklyn itself is. Brooklyn itself is. That's right. And, uh-huh. uh, and that means we've attracted innovators. We've attracted, uh, you know, skilled workers. And we've, we've really had people who have taken risks and made investments in our communities. And I don't want to see that fall back. And I don't think COVID can do that to us. I don't think, you know, COVID can, can temporarily kind of uh, hold us back. But I think when we come out of this, you know, we're going to be a better community. We're going to be a better Brooklyn. Uh, and we're going to be even more creative and innovative than we were before. What I think is neat in your resume, too, is that you left for a while and went off and I believe ran the Chamber of Commerce in Reading, Pennsylvania, right? That's correct. For two and a half years. We, I was, and, it was the first time I was away from my hometown. <laughs> and for people who could listen to this podcast all over the country, what advice did you learn in Reading, PA? that suburbs and other areas can copy from to be more like their own little Brooklyn, if you will? Uh, value, value diversity. Um, diversity is a strength. And do everything you can to attract uh, and retain talent. Uh, you know, it used to be economic development was really about the physical space. 
It was about incentives. It was about the land. It was about the infrastructure. Uh, economic development of today is about attracting and retaining talent. And the more creative people that you can cultivate both, uh, you know, who are already there and living there, uh, and the more that you could attract, uh, you're going to be better equipped for a knowledge-based economy, which is really the transformation that the United States has gone for. So I think that that's really what's different, uh, and that's what communities should take away. Anything else, Neil? No, I, I got to tell you, though, Brooklyn and the you know innovation that you mentioned is just inspiring. And we've talked to business owners at the Brooklyn Navy Yard, several, including one recently, Bednark Studio, that has pivoted to making these face shields mm-hmm. and nail plastic dividers for uh, Uber and Lyft cars. Uh, what you're doing is, uh, is really incredible and sets an example for the country, really, uh, as people look to pivot and, and adjust in this time. Yep. Thank you. Randy, a few years ago, several years ago now maybe, I was interviewing a business owner from Brooklyn and being kind of Manhattan-centric, you know, I said, what do business owners in Brooklyn think about Manhattan now? And you know what his answer was? What's Nothing. That? We don't think about Manhattan anymore. Yeah. <laughs> they say, Manhattan, Manhattan where's that? <laughs> <laughs> it's somewhere west of here. Randy, <laughs> We want to have you back sometime. Thank you. It's been great to talk with you. Oh, it'd be my pleasure. Hopefully in person soon. Thank you, Randy. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.